Welcome to the Power 5 Cast Conference Championship DFS Preview. I'm Jacob Doyle, and I am joined, as always, by our DFS closer and college football lead at Gups Corner, Bobby Berger. Bobby, this is the last big slate of the year here. I mean, I'm sure, I don't know, during bowl season, if there are some random ones we can fill in, we could probably do that. But as far as our 15 straight week run, just going all the way from the beginning of the regular season through now, this is going to be it. So how are you feeling about that? Boy, it's it's been a... It's been a fun season, Jake. It doesn't feel like we're at 15 weeks here. Uh, actually, this Thursday night, a little shout-out to my high school. The Cincinnati LaSalle Lancers are playing in the Division II State Championship. Begins uh, Maslin, 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 Washington, which is actually the high school where uh, Paul Brown was, uh, the head coach. It's a long-time, long-time high school. Um, a lot of success. So LaSalle's up by 14 with four minutes to go. So we, we feel pretty good about that one. And then tomorrow night, Jake, the school our grandpas went to, Elder High School, plays for the Division One state title. I don't know how many of our listeners know this, but our grandpas were actually friends, uh, and they were at school together at Elder High School. So they play for the state championship tomorrow. It's that time of year, Bob, with all the high school state championships, and you're doing some early scouting for us for these DFS shows years down the road where you're scouting out these players and just seeing That's who's right. going to go D1 and when we're going to be able to use them, already sorting out what kind of price range they'll be. That's I right. know you've never taken a day off. That's right. I, I, I'll say this. There's, uh, I think there's six kids on Maslin who have D1 offers, and there's seven kids in LaSalle that have D1 offers. So two kids going to Ohio State. One's a kicker for LaSalle, and there's a wide receiver for Maslin, who's a junior. So there's just a lot of talent in here. Yeah, it's no joke. So, All right, well, before we get into the slate, we were going to do – do you have a trivia question for me this week? And then we'll get into everything from there, and then there's an eight-game slate we'll talk about. I do, Jake. I have a trivia question. We are renaming this – segment it's called stump the jacob <laughs> jake you are a guru in college football i don't not yet to meet anyone yet i don't think i'll meet anyone who knows about enough about college as much about college football as you do uh so this is the name of the new segment jake it's stump the jacob whether you're so okay much with pressure it, yeah well, well whether you're okay with it or not that's what we're gonna do <laughs> all, right. So, <laughs> all right so here's here's the trivia question a little bit different format in the spirit of conference championship week some of these teams have won conference championship titles like it's nobody's business every year. But five of these teams haven't won a conference ti- championship title as often as some of the other ones. Those are Virginia, Wisconsin, Baylor, Georgia, and Utah. All right? Okay. So I want you to rank these five teams in order most recent to furthest away year-wise the last time they won a conference championship. And it doesn't have to be in the current conference that they currently play in. So oh, take, take time here. Virginia, Wisconsin, Baylor, Georgia, and Utah. You have to go from most recent to the longest it's been since they've won a conference championship. Does it, the question make sense? It does. Starting with the most recent, huh? Yeah, Virginia, Wisconsin, Baylor, Georgia, and Utah. So we work with Power 5 teams here. Boy, Baylor would have had a shot for this, but they didn't have the one the one true champion, even though that was the conference slogan the year that they were with TCU, and it cost them a playoff spot. So, all right. right. Uh, yeah, ties. Now, now, put this disclaimer out here. You know, conference championships are, are, are pretty new, so before then, you know, teams would tie for the conference championships. Those count. Okay, I'm going to say for the first one, the most recent, I gotta go. I'm gonna say Utah because they used to be in the Mountain West, and I feel like maybe they got that done there before they moved to the Pac-12. Well, that's a bad start, Jake. 
bad start. Um, Utah was not the first team. Oh boy, here we go. This is a really hard one. I'm not a. It is hard. I'm not as much of a historian as I am more recent okay. stuff, so this is going to be yeah. challenging. Okay, well, I don't. Okay, oh boy, here we go. Take your time, or you could work backwards to forwards. You, know, you can go from the oldest to the most. Yeah. Recent. Okay, I'm going to say the oldest would be. Boy, I can't imagine Baylor winning a conference championship. I'm going to say they're the oldest. They're not. So you're all over the map here, Jake. I, I think we stumped the Jacob. Um, Give me one more shot here. Okay. Is Virginia last? Virginia's last. They like, they won the conference title in 1995. Okay. Ooh, so it's all since then after that. Okay, I'll go with – I just I can't remember. Is Georgia the most recent? Georgia is 2017. Oh, duh. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was a layup. I was trying to think of like way far back and like, yeah. oh, okay, who was that left-handed quarterback's name? Yep. Did they? <laughs> okay. Yeah, 17. All right. Starting to get there a little bit. Um, I'm going to say, is, is Baylor fourth? Baylor is not fourth. So we're just All right. That's three now. wrong. So that's how yeah. that's going to go. So George is the most recent in 2017. Baylor actually won it in 2014 and 2013. Did they count those? The RG3 years. Yeah, um, they're counted as I, they might have been co-conference championships. They just they, didn't have a conference championship game, so I think that's where it threw me off. That's probably what threw you off. Um, Wisconsin has won it in 2012, 2011, and 2010. Okay. Utah has not won it since 2008. Yeah, I mean, I know they haven't won it in the Pac-12. I, I don't know how yeah. long they've been in the Pac-12 now. So yeah. So that uh, and then Virginia, 1995. So we stumped the Jacob. Yep. Way overthought that Georgia thing. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a tough one. Okay. Well, let's get into the lesson of the week. Do you have anything for this week? Well, instead of a lesson, you know, we, as you said before the podcast, everyone graduated. Um, (laughs) Flying colors, you know, play the song, whatever. Just a note of thanks for everyone. Thanks for my wife for letting me do this podcast. You know, thanks to uh, you, Jacob. You've been a great, uh, Great co-host. Thanks to Gup, you know, putting uh, all the content out there. But most importantly, thanks to the listeners. You know, it's been 15 weeks. We appreciate you guys checking in. You know, we do this because we enjoy college football. You know, when you have fun and doing something, it doesn't feel like work. Um, so just, uh, you know, not to get all sentimental here, week 15, Jake, but just another <laughs> thanks, everyone. You have nothing left to teach the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that's where we are. All right. Well, and then you were speaking to Gup's Corner. That I mean, that's been huge for us, adding them in. So do you want to talk about them a little bit and just give additional thanks to them? I mean, we, we joined on with their network this year, and that's been big for us, and we couldn't be happier about it. Yeah, it's, it's been a great community, and, and the community of college football has really grown this year. Uh, you know, in the Slack chat, you know, just getting all the late-breaking injury news, and there's a lot, a lot of sharp minds in the Slack, you know, kind of going back and forth on what plays and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, it, you know, as always, you're looking to join gupscorner.com. Uh, but if you're looking to play sports outside of college football, you know, NFL, golf, uh, basketball, baseball, I mean, pretty much every sport's covered in there. Um, and then you get the Slack chat. Um, and also, you know, you get all the, uh, you know, the bowl action. So that'll certainly be included. So great time to join. Join for a full year, get all the bowl action and also all next year. And if you are already listening on the GUPS feed, go ahead and subscribe to the Power 5 cast. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. There are a couple additional podcasts that come out 
uh, each week. And we're going to do an instant recap once they announce the, the college football playoff teams in, in the New Year's Six. We're going to do a reaction to that. Next week, we're going to have a season recap with all of our preseason picks and just go over some of the talking points and questions we were asking around there. We're going to do our awards show. Uh, Bobby and Joe are going to do a, a confidence, bowl confidence picks preview and just kind of go through that and get everything sorted out. So we're going to be with you here through the rest of the season. But with all that being said, Bob, we have eight games on this slate to go over. The Friday night game between Utah and Oregon is not on this one. And I was a little surprised the UAB FAU game yeah. is not on this one either. I, I just assumed it would be since it's on Saturday, but we only have eight games. So let's start with start with the big red X and start with that how we always do. So who, who are you Xing out this week on a uh, shorter slate? It was close, but uh, I ended up with Virginia. Do you have any big red X's, Jake, or do you concur with that? How do you feel? I do. I, I agree with that. And then there are a couple others that I am going to at least mention. I mean, since you don't have them X'd out, we're going to talk about them anyway. But teams where realistically, when I'm filling out my lineup, I just don't know how excited I am when all these you know superpower tags and teams will get into and some of the best players in the sport are playing. I just don't know how I'm exci- excited I'm going to be about rooting for a Miami, Ohio player or something like that. So uh, we can talk about that once we get to those teams, though. But uh, let's start, as we always do, with the will it be close tier. The first game up is Virginia against Clemson. The spread in this one's Clemson minus 28 and a half. The over under is 54 and a half. You just gave Virginia the big red X. There is one thing I will say is Bryce Perkins at quarterback is 6.2 K. He does have over a hundred rushing yards in three of his last four games. And he has six rushing touchdowns in that time. The only reason I would consider him, well, there's two reasons. One is once we get to all these quarterbacks later in the slate, there are a ton in this price range and not many of them offer the rushing that Bryce Perkins does, but they're also not going against Clemson's defense. So that's kind of the scary thing there. But the only reason that I would think about playing Bryce Perkins is if I had somewhat of a Clemson stack, maybe, and then we'll talk about them in a second, but there, there could be garbage time opportunities here with Clemson is such a big favorite. They're minus 28 and a half. Say they're up by around that much in the second half. Maybe they kind of loosen things up a little bit, take some starters out because they'll have already made their point. They're already going to be in the playoff. They really can't improve their seed. And it's a huge game for Virginia's program, making it to the conference championship game. We just went over in the trivia question. They haven't really been in situations like this very often. And with Bryce Perkins being a senior in this kind of spot, maybe they just let him ball out as long as he can. And he puts up some garbage stats that maybe get him closer to value. So that'd be the only thing I'm thinking. And I might do that in one lineup with a few other Clemson players. But other than that, yeah, I, I I mean, I agree with you basically. So, well, you know, we've seen Clemson take their foot off the pedal in the fourth quarter. Um, and this game certainly doesn't project to be close in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, potentially for sure. They still don't give up any points, though, when, when they do that. That's the scary thing. So, that is true. All right, well, let's talk about Clemson. Trevor Lawrence is 7.7K at quarterback. Travis Etienne is 7.3 at running back. T. Higgins and Justin Ross are 6,005.7. Let's start with those main guys and then branch out from there if you're even thinking about anyone else. But for me, it's one of those things where it's, it's I, you know, I was talking about a second ago. It's, it's this time of year. Clemson knows what time it is. Ohio State knows what time it is. These teams playing in these big games, been there, done that. So it feels like this is a time where the bigger players start stepping up, at, at least to me. So is there any value here with anyone on Clemson that you saw? Oh, boy. Um, I, I think a lot of these guys can hit value. Um, you know, if you look at all the conference championships, you know, Ohio State's playing Wisconsin. They're solid defense. You know, LSU's playing Georgia. Solid defense. Clemson's playing Virginia. Uh, they're okay defense compared to those other guys, but they ain't Wisconsin and they ain't Georgia. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely interested in Clemson. Um, do you have a 
so are you are you more leaning the passing game, the running game? Where, where are you kind of at there, Jake? I'm all over the place here because, like you were talking about, the defenses that some of these teams are going against, you know, DeAndre Swift going against LSU, they're pretty limited and he's banged up. We'll talk about Georgia in a little bit, but he's right in that price range. And so, I mean, it's I just look at it and I'm like, well, I would rather have ETN. So, you know, I'm in for that. Because, I mean, he has multiple touchdowns in four of the last five games. He, he kind of had a weird start to the season. He had the big game against Georgia Tech, had a little bit of a lull, but I mean, he's all the way back now, 100 plus rushing yards in six out of the last seven games. He, and he also has three straight games with three catches and at least 30 yards. So that adds on a little bit. So if he's a multiple touchdown guy and is getting a little bit more involved in the passing game, he can hit value there pretty easily. And then I think for Trevor Lawrence, it's kind of funny. We always talk about why, you know, they don't play in that important of games and they still run him a lot. And, you know, it, for DFS, we won't complain about it, but it may not be the smartest thing to do. But in the last five games, you know, he's 16 touchdowns, no interceptions. So if you're looking at him, I mean, if he has three passing touchdowns and 30 to 40 rushing yards, it, it, all he would have to do is get somewhere in the neighborhood of getting the 300 yards to get the bonus. And if he did, then he'd basically hit value there, too. So I, I think I'll play ETN and Lawrence. And with Lawrence, I think I'll, I'll just stack him with either Higgins or Ross. And I might do a, a mega lineup where I stack him with both because those guys are not expensive. Mm-hmm. Like I said it's kind of crunch time Amari Rogers has been hurt and once you know what time it is both these guys had 100 yards last week and Higgins had two touchdowns and Ross had one so it just it sort of feels like one of those things if Clemson goes out and flexes these are just the main guys who got him there so that's sort of what I'm looking at I I think that's the right approach here um and yes we definitely wanting um you know we definitely want um exposure to Clemson on the slate for sure yeah, do you know how I love in these spots if I think a team's going to score a bunch, yeah. trying to get as much out of it as I can. I'm not afraid to just really attack that. I just always go back to the big tournament that you won last year. It was because of an Oklahoma State stack where you had not just Taylor Cornelius at quarterback, but you also had Tylen Wallace and Dylan Stoner. And it just was a combination of all three. So it was just double touchdowns galore every time those guys did anything. And then they all three kind of fed into each other and all ended up getting bonuses that way. So it just ended up just a lineup that just went nuts. So, it, you know, I don't think it necessarily you can count on it to be like a tournament winning lineup or anything, but these guys are not that expensive. No, they're if you not. Want to do a stack like that. I'm not going to do it across the board or anything, but that is at least something I'm considering. So, yeah, I think that's an absolutely viable approach here. Okay, let's move to the next game. It's going to be Ohio State against Wisconsin. The spread in this one's Ohio State minus 15 and a half. The over under is 56 and a half. Ohio State gets the superpower alert, so let's start with them. Let's start with Justin Fields. He's 8.2K, but Bobby, I wanted to ask you about him because normally we like the quarterbacks that offer rushing, but he is going to be wearing a knee brace. They're pretty much going to be in the playoff no matter what. I mean, they would obviously like to win just to win the Big Ten, to still be undefeated, to get the one seed, all that. But how much are they really going to put Fields in the line of fire when it comes to rushing, and what does that do to his value? Yeah, I'm definitely nervous about Justin Fields in this uh, matchup for sure. Um, you know, it, the report said he's going to wear a a thicker brace on his leg this week, and I guess it was was it like a sprained MCL type of deal, Jake? Is that what you they said? said it happened in the Penn State game actually, yeah. and then he just it just sort of flared up again a little bit or whatever. Yeah, well, you know, if it's already flared up once, you know, it could definitely flare up again too. Um, the other concern here is actually in this game. Um, a few weeks back, Fields actually took a bunch of sacks. So also something to monitor. Um, because I'm with you. Fields just seemed a little ex- expensive because for him to hit upside, you know, he's going to have to run the ball. Okay, so let me ask you this: If we think he might be a little less active in the running game, 
does that mean he's going to pass more? And then does that make a guy like Chris Olave more interesting at 5.6 or even a guy like Garrett Wilson at 4.1 who had 118 yards and a touchdown last week? Would you be interested in either one of those guys because of that? I know you don't typically love the Ohio yeah. State receivers. You know, I, I, I don't. But, you know, what? one thing that's, you know, I, I kind of like here is now they're playing at the turf, you know? Uh, oh, I'm on the know. over because of that. Yeah, well, it's not a bad play. I mean, they're playing at Lucas, uh, Lucas Oil and uh, perfect environment. And it seems like every game we were tracking for Ohio State, we were like, well, you got to watch the weather. you got to watch the weather. Didn't it seem like that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so then, this time of year. Yeah, so them being on a fast track, a shorter slate, you know, I, I might make an exception here and play a guy like Chris Olave at 5.6K. Okay, and then Dobbins, our guy, 8,000. I mean, is he a must-play the last few weeks as the, the schedule started ramping up? You know, we saw him getting a little bit of a lighter workload when they were playing Maryland in Rutgers, and then he comes back, I think it was 36 and 31 carries, and he's even been a little bit involved in the passing game. So is he just one of those guys where, no matter the price almost, you have to play him because he's yeah. got a chance for multiple touchdowns and 100-yard bonus and all, everything else? I, I'm actually, you know, for all the times we saw, like, Chuba Hubbard and – uh, Jonathan Taylor get priced at like 9K. Like, I'm actually pretty surprised Dobbins isn't at 9K. Um, so, yeah. I, I'm, it, I'm is that just because of Wisconsin's defense, do you think? Or what's the. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I was a little bit surprised about that, too. I, I mean, I just saw him at that price and I was like, you got to yeah. do it, right? Yeah. It, I, I think maybe just because of, you know, the nature of the slate, you know, with uh, the pricing the way it is, I think they kind of lower the floor on a bunch of these guys. Um, but yeah, to your, I mean, Dobbins, I mean, geez, it, it doesn't matter the team and he just blows up every time. So he actually might be the most popular player in the slate, but there's good reason for it. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things with him where I've been a little bit nervous about it a couple of times where like, I don't know, he's so expensive. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to do it again. He has to get over 150 yards and he has to get two touchdowns and that might even just be borderline. And then it's just, oh yeah, never mind. I mean, he just rips off huge runs all game, every game. So yeah. All right, well, let's talk about Wisconsin. I don't know what you want to do with them. They passed a lot more than I think people thought in, in the Minnesota game last week, and that was in bad weather. They lost 38-7 to the first time to Ohio State. So what I'm wondering is, do you think, especially with it being indoors here, like we talked about, are they going to keep you know, Jack Cohn going a little bit with that passing game? Just knowing the first time they played Ohio State, they tried to do it their way and got ended up getting run off the field, and they couldn't play a 60-minute game that way. So do they come out a little bit more aggressive on offense? I think their version of aggression is a little different than everyone else. I, I think, uh, well, well, it is. But what they did well against Minnesota is, you know, they'd like leak a fullback or do a tight end or I know they did Jonathan Taylor on the wheel route. I, I think you'll see a lot of those gimmicky type plays. Um, and I love nothing more than a fullback in the flat, Jake. That That's my favorite play <laughs> you know, for obvious reasons. But uh, I, I think you're going to see a lot of that out of Wisconsin. You you can't Wisconsin just doesn't have the horses to throw the ball down the field. It's going to be more of a uh, a dink and dunk offense. So is Cone out of the picture then for you at five point eight with not offering any rushing? Oh yeah, so out of the picture. Okay, so then Jonathan Taylor at seven point nine at running back. So if they are losing in the game profiles, I mean he's been more involved in the passing game this year than he ever had been in his career. He had just twenty rushes for fifty two yards the first time they played Ohio State. Does that scare you off, or do you think kind of what you're talking about with guys leaking out, maybe some more screens and design things for Jonathan Taylor, a little bit more involvement in the passing game? Does he have a chance in this one to hit anywhere near that value, or is it just with him and Dobbins' price so closely you choose Dobbins every time? 
Well, that that's the thing. Like, why in the world would you play Jonathan Taylor seven point nine when Dobbins is eight K and they're projected to score like, you know, two or three more touchdowns than them? It's like, no. Why would I ever do that? You know. Yeah, I'm with you there. I just I can't get there. But for Quintez Cephas at five thousand. I am a little bit interested there, especially if, if, like we said, the game profiles with them playing from behind. He has 10 catches, 193 yards, and two touchdowns in the last two weeks. He's fringy for me, but I do like the price. If he were to get a long touchdown, a garbage touchdown, if, if they start targeting him, targeting him more and he you know, contends for 100 yards or something, I feel like it, it's not that much of a stretch to, to consider him maybe getting in that value. What do you think about that? Hmm. <sighs> Maybe, maybe. He seems kind of fringy to me, really. I, I, I'm going back and forth there. Yeah, it's I, it's it's the definition of fringy. It's just an okay price, and he does have a little bit of upside, but at the same time, it's like, can you really trust Wisconsin in a situation like this with the way Ohio State's secondary is? So, I don't know. I mean, he's going he's, he's gonna to have to break a big play, basically, so... Okay, well, let's keep moving then. We'll get into the be picky tier. Let's start with the Baylor-Oklahoma game and that one. The spread in this one is Oklahoma minus 8.5. The over-under is 64.5. We'll start on the Baylor side of things. I did want to mention Charlie Brewer the first time that these two teams played at Baylor a couple weeks ago. He scored over 33 points, had 194 passing yards, two touchdowns, and one interception, but had 65 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. He's got 10 rushing touchdowns on the season. I feel like we've done Baylor several times this year, and we've kind of talked about the sneaky rushing upside that he has. At a price like 7.6K, are you interested in Charlie Brewer for Baylor? It could be a good tournament play, you know. Um, it, it all depends, you know, because this, this Oklahoma team we've seen lately, and you talked about it on the picks pod, and, you know, we were on this – pretty early, I think, um, is Oklahoma just being this basically this ground-and-pound team. That's just who they've been. And if they show up as a ground-and-pound team, which I'm pretty much expecting, then I'm not as high in Brewer. Um, so I don't know if you have the same thoughts there. I don't know if you're going to play him regardless. Um, what are you thinking? Yeah, I'm a little scared of him. And just passing-wise, he's been under 200 passing yards three out of the last four games. And his high in that those four games, basically the last month, is 221 yards. So it, it is really nice what he did against Oklahoma the first time. But can you really count on two rushing touchdowns? So, I mean, I know that he does get them. But getting two, I mean, that's asking a lot. Because if he even has a similar type week that he did against Oklahoma the first time and just has one less rushing touchdown, he's not hitting value with that. So that, that does scare me a little bit. So what do you think about – I mean, we're, we're punting on the Baylor running backs like we always do, right? Just too crowded of a situation there? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then Denzel Mims, he's the only other guy I was even thinking about at receiver at 6.1K. Do you like him at all? He had, he had 27.2 points when they played Clemson – or when I'm sorry, when they played Oklahoma the first time, six catches, 92 yards, and two touchdowns, 11 touchdowns yeah. on the season. Do you, do you see any upside for him? I mean, Beth, he showed upside against uh, Oklahoma last time. It, the, the problem with Mims here is you're looking through the pricing, and it's like, well, Mims is 6-1. Oh, there's T. Huggins who's 6K. It's like, well, you know, I think I know which one I want to play. Uh, so maybe you get a little lower, lower ownership. Maybe you just play both. Um, but it's just hard to justify playing Mims over what T. Higgins has done for me lately. Well, and what's kind of surprising about Mims is his yardage. You see, like in the Oklahoma game, had 92 yards. It always seems like he's right in that neighborhood, but only has one game with the 100-yard bonus in his last eight games, which is just really surprising huh. because he doesn't have any horrible games in that stretch, really. But he's just not having any of those boom monster weeks where it's 130 yards or something like that. So. I don't know. I think that's a factor. Yeah, you know, that's kind of surprising because when you watch their games, you know, 
Um, you know, Mims is the guy, you know, the stud making plays. You know, I, I wouldn't have pegged him for just, uh, you know, over 100 yards one time in the last eight games. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to, like you, I, I might have a little bit of him, but I'm not going to go wild with it because let's move to Oklahoma. And it, it, you already hit on it. And this has been the theme that we've been talking about. And th- I've just been listening to other college football podcasts, and they keep talking about how much better Oklahoma's defense has been. It's like, well, yeah, technically, but the biggest difference is they're not on the field for 35 minutes like they were towards the beginning of the season. They're on the field for like 22 minutes in the last three games. And, and a stat that really stood out to me is, you know, because we talked about this, like you said, weeks ago, the last five games of their schedule were so much harder. And in the first yeah. two and a half of those games where it was Kansas State, Iowa State in the first half of the Baylor game, they got outscored 120 to 93. So they're given up 24 points per half. And since they switched to this ball control, 38 minutes in time of possession over the last three games uh, that on average they've outscored their opponents 86 to 40 so now they're giving up eight points per half instead of 24 and I think a lot of that has to do like you said with the kind of the ground and pound and Kennedy Brooks being the main part of that so at 5.6k let's start with him are you interested there just with the uh, the workload he's been getting 23 touches per game over the last three games kind of how we were hitting that yeah I mean Baylor's run defense is we know it's a pretty solid unit but you know, it's one of those things, well, what, maybe the workload kind of trumps, you know, how, how solid Baylor's rush defense has been. Um, uh, Brooks, obviously, he could definitely lose some goal line carries to Hurts, which is always a concern. Um, you're going to need a couple a touchdown out of him to hit value. Uh, but he is pretty cheap at 5.6K. Yeah, and you, you either – yeah, you need a touchdown. You probably need the rushing bonus or you need – you know, when they played Baylor last time, for example, he had 93 rushing yards, but then he added four catches for 22 yards. So that at least did help him out a little bit. So, okay, so for Jalen Hurts then at 9,000 with, with his high price tag, he scored over 40 the last time they played Baylor, even though he turned it over a couple times with an interception, a fumble, and he was three yards short of the passing bonus and still was able to put up that number because he had 114 rushing yards and four passing touchdowns. So, I mean, basically averaging uh, over 100 rushing yards per game, over 300 passing yards per game, and 18 rushing touchdowns. So, I mean, what do we do here? Is it a spot where you kind of have to fire just with his workload? Yeah, I think you have to. Um, <sighs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's. I, I just I still think we're going to get the Oklahoma of the last couple games where they're just going to be like, you know what? Our offense line's huge. They're really, really good. Um, we have an elite running quarterback. We're just going to keep running the ball. We're going to keep our defense off the field, protect them a little bit, and we're going to go win. I think that's what we're going to see. Okay, so with the rushing upside there, yeah. I mean, he's just really high priced, but it's one of those things where, I mean, he has the ball on every snap for them, and if they have the ball so often, it's it's not like with Kennedy Brooks rushing more that's really taken away from Hurts. It's just that they're running that many more plays, so he's still getting right. his fill, it seems like. Oh, yeah, he's uh, – I mean – I mean, he just has the slate-breaking upside. I mean, he just has some of these weeks where it's just like, well, Jalen Hurts went for 50 points, and if you don't have him, you're not going to win. Yeah, pretty much. So, okay, well, then that leads to C.D. Lamb at receiver at 6.8K. I'm a little bit worried about him, Bob, because he didn't play in the Baylor game, and now he's come back the two games after, just six catches for 54 yards and one touchdown in the two games returning. So, you know, what do we think about that? He was coming back from a concussion are they kind of just saving him, working him back in? I, I don't know what this, what the deal is there, but it does seem like his production's down a little bit. I mean, he had over a thousand yards and fourteen touchdowns in just eleven games this year, and not much here at the end of the season. Are you concerned about that with his price? I, I think you have to be a little bit. I actually think CD Lamb's going to be pretty low on though. Um, you know, an eight-game slate where there's going to be a lot of chalk ownership here, 
Um, he's priced up pretty darn good, and I, I think he'd be a good tournament play um, in the right situation here. Yeah, and he's such a, a big game and big time player and big play mm-hmm. guy. Where it, you know, if he gets rolling and oh, makes yeah. a couple of plays, all of a sudden he's, I mean, he's a game changer. So, okay, well, let's move to the next game. We're starting to get into a little bit of the nitty gritty here with Miami, Ohio <laughs> against Central Michigan. Turns out this one's at Ford Field, so they're going to be playing indoors as well. It's a little bit closer for Central Michigan, though. I don't think that's where they normally play their games, but the spread in this one, Central Michigan minus six and a half. The over under is fifty four and a half. Let's start with Miami, Ohio. I think ultimately I'm going to X them out. I'm definitely willing to hear you out on them. It just has to do I, – I, I can't get the taste out of my mouth. I, we had that Akron run going where they weren't covering any spreads. Yeah. And so I was all excited to, for the first time to watch them when they played Miami. And Akron almost won that game straight up, and Miami just made me want to throw up in my mouth. And I, I can't get that out of my mind, and I don't it's, – it's, I'm going to be watching great teams all weekend long, all Saturday long. And the last thing I want to do in my tournaments is like, oh boy, you know, I've got Jalen Hurts and J.K. Dobbins, and if this random receiver I've never heard of from Miami, Ohio, can just yeah. have a magical game, I'm really in business. Uh, I just don't want to ruin my Saturday with that, so I just don't think I can do yeah. it. Okay. But having said that, what do you think on them? Kind of take take charge here and let me know what you think. Well, talking pre-pod, uh, we're going to let the listeners know this is actually the one game we disagreed with. Um, my first thought, this is kind of funny, is seeing this game made the slate. I was thinking, what did the Conference USA do to not get included on the slate if we're included in this matching game? You know? Yeah, no kidding. That's my first thought. Um, now, the thing with Miami, Ohio, to complicate matters is uh, Brett Gabbert, uh, who's actually the brother of Blaine Gabbert, which is hysterical, is 5.8K. Um, he's, he's questionable for this game. He left the Ball State game last week um, injured. I am a little more on the Miami, Ohio side than you are, Jake. And I think that's where disagreement comes from. I don't think Miami, Ohio is good, but I'm not sure Central Michigan is good either. Uh, if you look at their wins this year, they really don't have any good wins. When they played the better teams in the MAC, which actually, for my money, Buffalo and Western Michigan are the best teams in the MAC. They just somehow just got beaten random fluke games. Um, they got beat just like Miami. Central Michigan played Bowling Green, Akron, um, you know Toledo, Northern Illinois when they were just reeling. And I, I think both these teams kind of benefited from a weak MAC schedule. And that's yeah. how they got in this final. So I, I'm not high in Miami. It's just I'm not really high in Central Michigan. I think both these teams kind of stink. So what are you going to do here if you're going to play anyone on Miami, Ohio? This is the where the rubber yeah. meets the road because I told you I'm Xing them out. So right. well, go Jack's ahead and let the world know who your guy is. Yeah, Jack Sorensen's interesting. 4.7K. You know, we need some savings this week. I, I don't think many people are going to play him. But, no, uh, they're not. <laughs> again, if it's one of those deals where, you know, Central Michigan's not real good. You know, you're playing on the fast track, and the Ford, uh, I think Ford Field up in Detroit is where they play this game. Yeah, it is. He, he'd be the one interest for me because I think Miami, Ohio could get down in this game. Well, you know what I will say is, is you told me that Central Michigan was giving up the most passing yards per game, and I had already done my work on this. I was like, no way. I mean, it's 238, and then sure enough, I looked up and down the slate, and it's like, I guess we have some pretty good passing defenses. I guess that's how a lot of these teams made it to a conference championship, but that is the most passing yards per game allowed. But so, I mean, does that hinge on Brett Gabbert playing, though, because their backup last week was four for 11 for with two interceptions and had just 52 yards passing. So, yeah, we have to find out that Gabbert. I, I did see that the coach said that he's more than probable or something like that. So well, that, that'd be encouraging because if this Jackson Williamson guy plays. He might be a great guy. 
but his year-long stats are atrocious. I mean, they're so bad. So if, if, if this Jackson guy plays, uh, I'm so out of Miami, Ohio. Okay, so it all hinges on that for Jack Sorensen yeah. then. Okay, well, let's talk about Central Michigan. I'm actually a little bit higher on them, and I'll tell you why, is because they went 1-11 last year and brought in Jim McElwain, and they brought in Quentin Dormady, who is a transfer from Tennessee, and he's only played in eight games. And so he missed a couple games at the beginning of the year when they lost to Western Michigan and only scored 15 points, when they lost to Miami, Florida, and only scored 12 points. They got their doors blown off when Wisconsin was hot at the beginning of the year. But now that Dormady is is – playing and Jim McElwain is there and, you know, getting his culture, getting his system, getting, getting everything put into place. I just think it makes a big difference to have an SEC coach. And it's not like he got fired for performance. It was just a weird situation with everything that was going on there. And then Dormady transferring from Tennessee, I, that's kind of where I draw the line. And I, you know, I, I watched Miami almost lose to Akron and then I see an SEC coach and an SEC quarterback. And that's what makes me more comfortable with central Michigan. And they've scored 38 or more in five out of their last six games. So at least the offense has been clicking for them the second half of the season. Having said all that, though, I, I don't think I'm going to play Dormady at 6.2. He just doesn't really offer much rushing. He has thrown the ball really well, though. So that is what has made me think about it. I, I talked about their last uh, last second half of the season here. His last five games, he's averaging 292 passing yards per game with 10 touchdowns, completing almost 70% of his passes. But like I said, there's no rushing there. So you're basically going to have to get the 300-yard bonus and uh, you know three touchdowns in order to really get above value for him. And I, I, I'm just not sure enough about that. Sure. Um, uh, I'm also out in Dormady. You know, just no rushing, 6.2. If he was 4.5, sure. But I, I need some rushing at 6.2. Yeah, I mean, even if he was – yeah, I, I – I, he's questionable for me at 6.2, but like we said, there's just other guys on the slate that we'll still get into that I think maybe offer a little bit more. So I had a little funny story for you about the running back, Jonathan Ward at 6.6 K. I am going to play him for sure, by the way. I mean, he's got 15 rushing touchdowns and a receiving touchdown. He's got 28 catches on the year for almost 300 yards over a thousand yards rushing, averaging 6.4 yards per carry. And he actually even missed a couple games and so his touchdowns have really been coming on. He's got uh, 13 rushing touchdowns in the last seven games, over 100 yards, five out of the last seven. So Kobe Lewis, who's the other guy, he got a lot of his work when Ward was out towards the beginning of the year. So uh, I, I think that just points to Ward a little bit more. Kobe Lewis is 5.7. So if you think it's a mixed backfield, it still is to an extent, but it's Jonathan Ward's job for sure. And my story about him is I started playing college fantasy season long three years ago on fan tracks and two years ago I, I was on fan tracks in a 20 team all FBS league and this guy Jonathan Ward for Central Michigan I was like I have no idea who he is but he had like 41 catches two years ago as a sophomore and, and had a really good season so I picked him up a week or two in and I was like man this guy's awesome because it was a full point per reception in that league and I was like I gotta play this guy all the time and so I did and my team ended up making the playoffs or whatever and I just I didn't know much about Central Michigan assumed he was long gone and they were terrible last year like I mentioned and then all of a sudden when I'm going through the slate for this week I was like Jonathan Ward running back for, and it all came back to me and I was like oh my god I can't believe it's the same guy so uh, right. playing 10 games this year if you cut two games off with his production it's still good even if it would be a full season so are you interested in him at 6.6 I, I i think we have to be you know um he's been such a monster and then you have that uh 28 receptions that's, that's pretty that's pretty strong 
yeah, I mean, nothing not to like about him. He just, with the amount of touchdowns and getting a little bit of that receiving there. So I think for me, you know, Kobe Lewis, like I said, his numbers look good. He's got 11 touchdowns, 953 yards. He also has 22 catches, but he got a ton of work in the two games that Ward missed. And he's clearly the number two guy. So that's not enough of a price drop off for me to be interested, even with his touchdowns. Do you feel the same way there? Or are you going to have a little bit of him? I even kicked around the idea of maybe playing both guys mm-hmm. in a lineup, but ultimately I was like, no, nah, it's too expensive. It just doesn't make yeah. sense in the situation. I, I'm with you. You know, I'd rather have Kennedy Brooks in that situation for sure. Yeah, yeah, right. And he's more expensive than Kennedy Brooks. So, yeah, I mean, if Kobe Lewis was like 4000 or something, that might change right. things a little bit. But, right. okay, well, let's get into the receivers here. They have two guys who were first team all Mac, I believe, Khalil Pimpleton and Ja'Cory Sullivan. Pimpleton is 5.6K. Sullivan is 5.1. What do you think about these guys? Well, Sullivan is questionable, um, unfortunately. He says he has a foot injury, uh, and he's really good. Um, PFF. Uh, came out with like an all-conference teams, uh, including the Mac. Did you see this, Jake? Yes. Um, so Ja'Cory Sullivan actually made first-team All-Mac um, as a wide receiver, and he's been real hot real lately, and seems like he's developed a connection with Dormady. So I got to watch his injury status because if he's out, um, I like Khalil Pimpleton, 5.6K. Um, I, I think just targets are just funnel to him uh, because Sullivan has such a big workload. Yeah, and Pimpleton's a higher reception guy. He's got 73 on the year, but he's just 10.6 yards per catch. And the thing with Sullivan, like you talked about with Dormady and how Dormady's been doing so well the last five games, Sullivan has at least five catches and at least 83 yards in each of the last five games and two 100-yard games in that span, a couple touchdowns. So, and he's a bigger play guy at 15.1 yards per catch. Like we talked about, though, it's all going to depend on his injury status. That was kind of disappointing to see because he had been playing so well. So that's something we're going to have to note. But what could actually help out is that is one of the earlier games on Saturday. I think it's a noon Eastern start. So if we know that before everything kicks off, we'll be able to make our adjustments instead of having to do it like later in the afternoon or at night or something. Because this slate stretches all the way until the night game. So at least we have that going for us. Definitely. Definitely. Well, another thing for Sullivan, too, just real quick, Miami, Ohio's defense is is number 86 in defensive uh, explosive drive rate. So at 15.1 yards per catch, he seems like he's the bigger play guy and he's 500 cheaper. That was another thing that I wanted to mention that at least pointed to him. But all it has to do with the injury, though. Okay, so let's move to the next game, Bob. Louisiana at Appalachian State. The spread in this one's Appalachian State minus six and a half. The over under is 56 and a half. I think ultimately, and I didn't know I was going to do this until about an hour ago, I'm going to X out Louisiana, as it turns out. This is the fourth time these teams are playing in the last two years, and all three times before, it's gone way under. And I know you were talking about how you were a little bit surprised by that, and we just don't get any rushing out of Levi Lewis at quarterback, and it seems like they really split things three ways in the backfield. So it just made me a little bit nervous there. It does seem like Jamal Jamal Bell is questionable at receiver. So does that mean more targets for someone else? And should I be interested in somebody because of that? Or how are you looking when you see Louisiana here? Yeah, I mean, I told you pre-pod, like, why is this total 56? Like, what am I missing, Jake? Why is it 56? A true road game for Louisiana, too. I mean, they only scored seven the first time they played Appalachian State this year. So, Yeah, I mean, I you look at the yards, you look at the plays in this game, it's just so down. Um you know, the strength of Louisiana is definitely running the ball. But you look at App State um, against the run, it's like, yeah, they're, they're pretty good against the run. You know, they're 
Let's see, I have the number nine in defensive uh, rush yards, so they're pretty good against the run. And then they got this three-headed monster, and these three guys are good. They All three of these running backs actually made, like, PFFs, um, you know, first, second, and third team. Like, these running backs are good, but that's a problem. All three are so good, they need carries. Uh, so it doesn't give us one guy. And then wide receivers, uh, like you said, Jamal Bell is questionable. Uh, if he can't play, you know, maybe that does funnel some more targets to Bradley. So Jamarcus Bradley at 5.1 would be the – yeah, I mean, because their running backs are 5.9, 5.8, and 4.7 for yeah. Regis Mitchell, and I guess it's Callis. I don't know how you say his name, but – so is, is Jamarcus Bradley, is he basically the only guy there that you'd be interested in? Is that if Bell is out, or would you consider playing him anyway? What's the situation with that? Yeah, I, I think so. Bradley's probably the only guy there. Um, and I, I could actually big red X him too, um, you know, the more I think about it. Yeah, I didn't think I was going to do that. And the more I was looking into it, it's like, I just don't know what we're really looking at here. So let's move on to Appalachian State then. You gave me a hot tip last week on Zach Thomas, the quarterback. He is 6.9K. What do we think about him? He's always viable for GPPs. He's always going to fly under the radar. Um, dude can run the ball. So you can always play him. Yeah, 387 rushing yards and seven rushing touchdowns on the season and 10 passing touchdowns in his last three games. So... Seems like he's a good value there. And then at running back, they have Darrington Evans. Is that how you say his name, I guess? Uh, he's 7,000. He, he's got yeah. 19 total touchdowns on the season and eight in the last three games. He's averaging about 20 touches per game, almost six yards per carry. So it's 7,000. Are you interested in him here? He's in this weird price range where it's like, do I spend down to pay for these other guys? Do I go up to pay for some of the studs? Um but looking at this matchup, it's, it's pretty good for him. Um, you just wonder, well, you know, does Thomas steal his touchdowns? Because if Thomas doesn't steal his touchdowns, Evans could have a pretty big game. Yeah, I mean, he's got 19 on the season there. So yeah. in Louisiana's rushing defense, 172 yards a game and 4.5 yards per carry. And remember, that's that factors in sacks, too. So that yards per carry is no bueno. So, all right, on the receiver side of things, then, they have Thomas Hennigan. It sounds like this Corey Sutton guy is going to be out. So does that mean Malik Williams and Jalen Virgil have been getting more targets lately? That's kind of what it looked like to me. But you yeah. kind of broke down Appalachian State last week, so you might know a little bit more about the situation, a little bit more about these guys. Hennigan is 4.8K. Malik Williams is 4.5. And Virgil is 4,000. Yeah, it's kind of a shame. So Corey Sutton, two games ago, uh, tore his ACL. Done for the year. And he was... You know, one of their leading receivers, I think two years ago, he might have led the team. Um, so what that did last week is it funneled more targets to uh, Hennigan uh, and Williams, and Virgil will step in for Sutton. Um, I will say this is a lot harder matchup this week uh, than the matchup they had last week. You know, Louisiana uh, is a really good, sound, fundamental team. I really like their head coach, actually. I, I think he is definitely a head coach. If I was playing in the South, you know, he's under the Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban uh, type of mind where he'll do whatever it takes in recruiting. He knows what to do in recruiting to get players. So I am really high on the Louisiana coach. So a little bit of a sidebar there. But, um, yeah, much tougher matchup this week for App State. Yeah, I mean, he's young too, Billy Napier. And being in that region, that Louisiana here, he's got access to a lot of good players around there if he's built some of those connections. So, uh, yeah, I mean, but Hennigan at 4.8, I, that was the guy. I mean, he had 11 targets last week and caught all 11. 11 catches, 140 yards. So at that price, is he playable even though the, the pass defense is a little better? Or are we just focused on the quarterback and running back here? 
I, I, I really think he's playable, and I think he might get some traction. You know, he's pretty cheap here. Um, it, it, it's one of those things, does Appalachian State have so much success running the ball that they just say, you know what, I'm not going to pass. You know, could absolutely happen. So uh, something to look at here. Yeah, and I just don't know enough about these teams to know what their tendencies are in those kind of situations. So that's where it's a little tricky for me. But I, I did notice that Virgil guy did have five targets. You talked about him sliding in a little bit for Sutton. So at 4,000, he had 95 yards and a touchdown last week. If we're struggling for saving, I mean, is that going too far down, or what, what do we think here? I mean, he showed it last week. He can step in for Sutton. Um, and if he's really truly playing the Sutton role, which it seems like he is, I mean, that's the role that – Thomas is used to throwing, and those are the same plays Thomas is used to throwing to Sutton. And he's just throwing to the same spots, you know, just a different guy, but it's the same spot in the offense. So, yeah, I, I think for savings, yeah, he's definitely a potential play there. Okay, let's move to the next game then, which is Cincinnati at Memphis. The spread in this one's Memphis minus 9.5. The over-under is 57.5. A rematch of last week, and it's kind of funny. We talked about this on the on the preview. Is uh, Memphis won this game by 10 last week. The spread now is 9.5. The, the total in that game was 58. The over-under is 57.5 in this one. So it's almost like Vegas saying, do you think Memphis is going to do that again? Uh, sure. Let's start with the Cincinnati side of things, though. Desmond Ritter is actually going to be playing at quarterback. He's 6.1K. What do you think about the situation for Cincinnati with him playing instead of Ben Bryant? Well, you know, just so the listeners know, you know, I'm obviously in Cincinnati. Jake, you're a big Cincinnati everything fan, right? Football, basketball. Uh, the only thing I would say these days that I'm a fan of at all is Cincinnati basketball. I mean, I, I pay attention to their football team, but as far as like an actual fan, and I, I listen to the radio shows and watch the press conferences, and yeah. if the games aren't on, even on TV, I'll listen to them when it's Cincinnati basketball. But for the football team, like I've only watched a couple games this year. So, I mean, I with the Power 5 cast, you know, doing all Power 5 things, right. it's kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit there. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting. Cincinnati, you know, Desmond Ritter, it's like they didn't play him last week. Was he hurt? Was he benched? I don't he know. Was hurt. He was hurt. Okay. So, he let's say he was hurt. Uh, ben Bryant stepped in there, uh, freshman quarterback. He did, did pretty good. Coach uh, came out in the press conference and said, you know what? There's not going to be any competition. Ritter is our starting quarterback. Um, so, maybe a week off gives Ritter some help this week. But Memphis defense is a lot better than people think. Um, an over-under of a 57 in a Memphis game is actually pretty low. So I don't know if you have any different thoughts on Ritter, um, and then maybe if you could share your thoughts on Warren. I, I don't trust Ritter enough. I just, at 6.1, I know that he has a little bit of rushing upside, but his passing just has not been there, and I would have to see it before I believe it with him at this point. So uh, with Warren, I am actually interested at running back. At 6.3K, it seems like he has a, a decent path to get his value. He's got 14 touchdowns on the season and has a touchdown and at least at least one touchdown in five straight games, nine total. Uh, he's got 71 rushes in the last three games, and so he, he has that 100-yard bonus upside with just getting so many touches. I, I mean, he's going to get, especially in this with the conference championship on the line, he's their go-to guy uh, over Jared Dokes, which you know they'll, they'll spell Warren a little bit and get him some work. But Warren, I mean, he'll get 22, 25, something like that rushes. So, you know, if, if he even catches a pass or two and we're to have 
two touchdowns. I mean, he could easily get that value back. It, it, the hundred yard bonus is absolutely in play for him every single week. So if he ends with 120 rushing yards and two touchdowns or something like that, then you're in a really good spot. And he doesn't even necessarily have to go off in order to do that. Cause like I said, he's 14 touchdowns on the season. They'll, they'll use him anywhere on the field. So I, I kind of like him at 6.3 seems like a, a pretty safe play to me. I, I, he has a pretty high floor at least. Yeah, I, I think he does too. And he actually did, he looked pretty good last week against Memphis. Uh, so maybe he can continue it this week. Yeah, I mean, he's an NFL prospect at running back. So, um, all right. So their tight end, Josiah DeGuerra, I did want to ask about him. He's 4.9K. With Ritter there, though, I don't feel as comfortable with it. And at that price, you know, we talked about the guys for Appalachian State, for example, are all cheaper than that. So I, I think I might go somewhere else for savings. And with you playing the, the Miami, Ohio guy for cheaper, too, are you kind of in the same boat where, I mean, he would basically have to have a big catch and a touchdown or something to get that kind of value? Yeah, DeGuara, you're kind of hoping for touchdowns. They do feature him a lot in the red zone. Um, uh-huh. You know, it's interesting. I don't know how many – I think I said this before, but um, the Cincinnati offense coordinator, Mike Dembrock, um, great guy. He was actually my position coach at Notre Dame, um, so a little familiarity there. And actually, the Miami, Ohio head coach, um, Chuck Martin, he was the defensive backs coach when I played at Notre Dame. So maybe that's why I'm a little Miami, Ohio biased there. But um, anyways – it's kind of a similar Notre Dame system, um, and they like to get the ball to the tight ends, uh, especially in the red zone. There's definitely some plays for him. Uh, but up and down the field, I'm not sure if he's going to see the targets, especially with Ritter's health. Man, so you're in touch with the whole coaching tree here on this slate. Yeah, a lot going on there. All right, well, let's get into Memphis. Uh, we talked about them. I mean, they've been on the slates a lot lately. Brady White's at 7.1K at quarterback. It, I wanted to ask you, and this is seemed like kind of a bummer for me, actually, as it's turned out, is Kenneth Gainwell's at 7.5K at running back. But Patrick Taylor Jr. has come back at 6.2K. I just think that's way too expensive for a guy who's kind of splitting work. But that's the problem for Gainwell is they actually have been using Patrick Taylor Jr. And Gainwell now has no touchdowns in the three games since Taylor has come back, just 15.3 touches per game and only five catches total. He's been super involved, really heavy workload, one of the most expensive guys of the season. But with with Taylor Jr. coming back, it seems like it sort of messed things up in the Memphis running game a little bit. Yeah, it has. And and I would have thought Gainwell would have been a little cheaper this week, 7.5K. Don't get me wrong. This guy can definitely catch a screen and go 80 yards to the house. Like, he is that explosive. Um, But he's only going to get half the carries because Taylor is involved too. Now, we have seen in the past, you know, last year when Memphis had Daryl Henderson and Patrick Taylor. Like, you could play multiple of these guys. So And Pollard. Yeah, and Pollard. I mean, which is crazy for the amount of talent they have there. um, Where multiple guys would hit value. Um, So it's one of those things where – Yes, they can do it, but they're a little priced up. So maybe a tournament play for me. Okay, and is that just on Gainwell or Taylor too? Taylor too. You know, it it seemed like last year with Memphis, you know, if they have one guy that kind of gets going, they're just going to kind of ride the hot hand. I'm way too scared of Taylor. God, man, I hate this. I, I almost wish Taylor was still out. I I completely yeah, get what I you're saying. Too. I just it it makes me nervous because they're not cheap. Right. So I think for me, I think I'm going to pass on Taylor. I think I might have a little bit of Gainwell just hoping as the number one guy. But I mean, Taylor did have that three touchdown game just a couple of weeks ago. So 
definitely something to think about there. All right. Well, Brady White at 7.1. Would you think about him or any of his receivers? Demonte Coxey is 5.8K. I continue to be surprised that he's not more expensive. And then Antonio Gibson's at 4.8K. Seems a little boomer bust. So is that kind of your style with the tournament thing? Or is there just not quite enough production there? What do you think about these uh, quarterback and pass catchers from Memphis? You nailed it. You know, we, we share the exact same thoughts. Coxey seems a little cheap. Gibson's been a boomer bust. And then White, he just he just doesn't do it for me, man. Um, he has had a couple games where he's he's really you know hit hit and exceeded value, but like against Cincinnati, solid defense. He and he's not really a rusher. No, uh, not at all. Yeah, it's kind of fluky if he gets a rushing touchdown. So and he's just overpriced. Well, and the thing for Coxy is these two teams did play last week. He had six catches for 145 yards and a touchdown. His last yeah. five games. He's got 27 catches. He's averaging over 112 yards per game. So he's got a touchdown in four straight game, and he's got six touchdowns in that span and at least one touchdown each of the last four games. So he's just in a rhythm right now. And I, at 5.8K, I just I don't I have no interest in getting in the way of that. Yeah, he's he's like surprisingly like pretty cheap. I was I was kind of surprised when I saw him at 5.8K. Yeah, lots of upside there. Okay, so let's get into the next game, which is Georgia against LSU. The spread in this one is LSU minus 7.5. The over-under is 54.5. We will start with Georgia. Basically, for me, I'm not touching Jake Fromm. We never do. DeAndre Swift at 7.2K. I was talking about how ETN is 7.3. With Swift uh, having a little bit of a shoulder injury, I'm just not sold on him, especially because he has zero touchdowns in the last five games. So, and I know that's something Ray Ruberg pointed out on a round table. He was bitter about it because he had him on his season long fantasy team. And he's like, why doesn't this guy ever get any touchdowns? So, old Ray is pretty bitter about his fantasy team these days, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> um, all right. So, what do, you, what do you think about the running game? Anything here on Georgia that's appealing to you? Well, you know, if I, I think Swift's going to play, it seems like one of these shoulder injuries where you just, you know, put the shot in the shoulder. Pain management. You know, that a little bit. Yeah, whatever. It seems like uh, the one on Johnson had last year with Auburn. Remember that? A little uh, bit. So where, you know, he would just come out a few plays and then come back in and come back out. It seems like one of those. But if if he doesn't play, Brian Harry in a 4.6K, you know, is going to get all the workload. So, um, and it could happen where Swift is like, you know, plays a couple plays, gets dinged up, and he's like, I just can't go. So then Herring gets all the work. So and Herring is cheap at four point six K. So that, that's certainly an injury to monitor, you know, especially in pregame warm ups and you know, just, just to kind of see how that feels out. I, I don't think we're gonna get word, but something to watch there. Well, and with that price for Herring at four point six, like you talked about, yeah. I will have one lineup where I play him, even if they say Swift is okay and even if they say he's playing, because like you said, it could be two plays into the game and it's like, Oh God, this just isn't going to work. Or it could be one of those things. I mean, Harrion has two touchdowns in the last three games, which is at least something. I mean, we talked about how Swift has zero and Harrion's been getting about 10 touches per game anyway. And has been a little bit involved in the passing game too, as a running back. So even if Swift plays, they're probably going to split it more than they normally would. And Harrion has been involved throughout the season with just how run heavy they are. So at that kind of price, even if Swift is there, I still think it might be worth a shot because it might just be a touchdown, a couple catches and 60 yards. And you can at least, you can kind of hold serve there. And if something does happen to Swift, then he has a lot higher upside. So like I said, I'm not going to do that across the board or anything, but I think there will at least be a lineup. Even if I do think Swift is supposed to play where I just think it'd be worth it at 4.6 there. Yeah, no, definitely. And you look at Georgia, I have them as the playing the 12th hardest uh, defensive schedule. Um, 
uh, out of all oh, teams wow. in college. Yeah, so they've had a pretty tough schedule. Okay, there's one more guy here, and I don't know if you're going to like this or not because he's not highly targeted. Eli Wolf at tight end at 3.7K. We're just talking about this week. I mean, you know, the the book is out. It, it, we're all the way through the regular season, and these are conference championship level teams. So DraftKings isn't going to just forget about someone and have minimum price guys that we can kind of steal. So at 3.7, he's really the cheapest, quote-unquote, playable guy on the slate that I've come across. Yeah. So just with, with Pickens being out in the first half, Cager being out for the game, they can't get away with just throwing for zero yards. So, I mean, he did have a 47-yard catch last week, did have a touchdown the week before, two catches for 26 yards the game before that. It really is kind of scary here, but I think if I do a lineup, and we'll talk about LSU in a second, where I, I, I stack Burrow and Chase because they're so expensive, I might come back with Eli Wolf here on the other side at 3.7 as just a really cheap guy hoping maybe he gets that red zone touchdown or maybe he you know had a 47-yard catch last week, does a little something there and can have a couple catches. Because like I said, they can't just throw for zero yards. And I, you know, But besides Dominic Blaylock, I, you know, Charlie Warner hasn't really panned out this year at receiver. We're kind of running out of options and Tyler Simmons has been unbelievably inconsistent. So I feel like Wolf might be a little sneaky here. I'm going to do it only in one lineup, but I do think I'm going to test that out. I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, you know, you look at uh, <laughs> Georgia wide receiver. I mean, they're decimated, absolutely decimated. Um, so it's like if I'm an offensive coordinator, okay, do I – throw in another wide receiver who doesn't have much experience and they're playing against NFL cornerbacks, or do I put a two tight end scheme in there, give LSU something they haven't seen before, uh, or at least that much of this year and see if I can just pound the ball with the run, you know, play a heavy style. And I actually think George is going to do that. I I think you're going to see a lot of two tight end sets uh, this week. So if they do that, hopefully they can scheme some, maybe some play action plays um, to Eli Wolf. Almost, you might actually see Georgia look like Wisconsin this week, but I actually think that's their best shot at beating LSU. Well, and Bob, there's, you know, LSU has not played very many good tight ends this year, but the couple that they have played that are decent prospects anyway, Jared Pinckney for Vanderbilt had four catches for 47 yards and Kyle Mm -hmm. Pitts for Florida had five catches for 108 yards. So there's at least a little bit of success there from the tight ends. Like you're talking, if they're going with heavier packages and a, a run heavy thing, at least he'll be on the field. Just don't – it's not my fault if he scores zero. <laughs> yeah. I think Weidermeyer uh, – is that how you say his name for um, – Yeah, for A&M. Texas A&M. I think he had a couple passes last week. That's um, interesting. Yeah, so some, something to, I, I something to chew on there. I didn't even bother looking that one up because I just knew Texas A&M scored seven, so I was afraid that wouldn't support my case. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well, let's move to LSU. Joe Burrow's 8.3K. You know, I don't know. What do you want to say about him? I mean, hell, there's, there hasn't been a team in the country that can slow down LSU. You know, we thought Auburn's defense was good, and they are good. Um, LSU, 500 yards offense. Florida's defense is good. Yeah, they're really good. LSU did no problem. Um, so you almost look at LSU, it's like, well, no matter who they play, and they're the uh, number two in um, FEI offense, it's like, yeah, they're, they're going to find success here. So I'm kind of on the fence here. I'm kind of like, well, does George, I think it all depends. Does Georgia run the ball well enough to keep LSU off the field? Because I think LSU is going to score. I just don't know how fast they're going to score. Yeah, well, and like I said, you know, watching these games this weekend, I'm not going to sit there with zero of Burrow, the Heisman Trophy winner. I just can't do it. He's got a little bit of sneaky rushing upside. And there's a stat I came across when I was just looking into these games and, and for our previous week. 
Burrow has completed over 70% of his passes in every single game this season, which is That's just amazing. jaw-dropping. Amazing. So, yeah, I, I can't miss out on him. And, and Jamar Chase at 7.8K, he played just 11 games but still had 1,457 yards, which is number two in the FBS and number one in the Power Five. 20.8 yards per catch, 17 touchdowns. I got to play him. Like I said, that's what the only reason I'd play Eli Wolf is just to offset some of the costs there. And I'll play chase either by himself or with burrow or just figure out a way. It's just, I don't want to miss out on these guys. I mean, LSU scored over 47 points a game and they're in a dome here. It might just be one of those things where, you know, we always talk about this. It seems like good offense beats good defense in these kind of, these kind of settings in college football these days. Yeah, so Chase is the number one uh, wide receiver in college football with 17 touchdowns, and he's actually number two which in, in yards, which is crazy, at 1457. Um, Omar Bayless from Arkansas State. Yeah, Arkansas State. State, he had a great year. Ha- has more yards than he does, but um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, and he even played one less game, so... Um, all right, so he's 7.8. Justin Jefferson is 6.5, so a little bit of savings there. I don't know if that would make a cheaper stack with Burrow. Is that where you'd be interested? Because he's no slouch himself, 81 catches on the year, over yeah. 1,000 yards, almost 1,100, and 13 touchdowns. So how do you feel about him? He's absolutely in play. You know, he he's a monster, especially in uh, DraftKings, where it gives you that one point per PPR. Um, you know, 81 receptions is – I mean, that's nothing to slouch about. That's uh, – I think I have that. That's almost in the top 10 of uh, receptions for NCAA this year. So, yes, absolutely, he, he's in play. Okay, and it really seems like those guys have taken off. And Terrace Marshall Jr., he had a stress fracture earlier in the season and missed a few games. Yeah. He's 5.5K, and his five games back, he has just 12 total catches, a little over 30 yards per game, and only two touchdowns. So, I mean, you'd be super contrarian, I feel like, to play him. But, is, I mean, can you really even do it just with the way he's been since the injury? Uh, he's going to be super low on, like, he's going to be like 1% on. So it's kind of one of those things, maybe in a tournament. Okay. And then Clyde Edwards, Elair, we haven't talked about him yet at running back at 7.3 K. He's the same price as ETN. He's right in the range of Swift and some of these other guys. He's got 43 catches on the season, but, and that sounds like a lot and it is, but that that's even a little misleading because he's got 31 of those in the last five games. And he's got 17 touchdowns, 100-plus rushing yards, and five out of the last seven games. So with his pass catching, the way, you know, with the Joe Brady kind of style offense coming over from the Saints, you can kind of see how that's working out for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I mean, do you basically have to play him for his receiving and touchdown upside? I, I mean, how do you not play him, right? You know, like, dude's been terrific, absolutely terrific. You know, even in games where I try to fade him, Gets like nine target, nine you know, touches, and goes berserk. Um, concern would be if Georgia defense, you know, shows up and is really good this game. Uh, but yeah, you know, his talent—he's just been so good. Yeah, well, I mean, because Georgia's number two in the nation at two point six yards per carry allowed. They're number two in the nation, seventy-one rushing yards per game allowed. And they've only allowed one rushing touchdown this season. But I mean, that might just end up being pass catching for Elaire, which could end up helping him in other ways. It's just it's it's hard with this LSU offense. It's almost like you're standing on the tracks when the train's coming through. And I, I just don't want to be sitting there on Saturday going, of course, they're going to score in the 40s because they're LSU. And that's what they do. You, I mean, these guys are expensive and it is going against a good defense. But I just don't want to be caught with nothing. Yeah, I, I'm, to- I'm totally with you there. Superpower. Okay. So. Superpower tag for them? Oh, absolutely. 
Okay, let's get into the fantasy goodness tier. We have one final game here that we need to discuss. It's Hawaii at Boise State. The spread in this one is Boise State minus 13 and a half, the over under 64 and a half. I, you know, I was thinking a little bit about Cole McDonald at 7.4K, and I was looking at his numbers, and I'm like, I don't get it. I mean, he's a little bit sneaky with rushing, but his passing yards don't seem as, as high as they should be, considering what these receivers do. And then it was like, oh, they have another quarterback that they use sometimes, and he's 5.9K. So because of that, do we just have to X things out at quarterback, or do you have faith in them in this situation that they would just roll with McDonald no matter what, because it seems like he gets a little turnover prone and they pull the plug on him. So I don't really know what Hawaii is doing here. Yeah. It's, so last couple of games, both of these guys have split work, you know, um, McDonald will start and Cordero will come in, Cordero will start, McDonald will come in. And that's just kind of been their ML, you know, just, I don't know if it's keeping guys fresh. I don't know if it's kind of saying, Hey Cole, you know, you need to focus every play, uh, because if you don't, you start throwing picks, we're putting Cordero in. Um, so yeah, they 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 split work here the past couple games. Okay, so are they both out for you then? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, if if both of these guys, you know, are playing, um, you know, and how how they've gone recently, if they operate like that again, that there's no sense playing either of them. Okay, then at running back, Miles Reed is four point three k. He's super duper cheap for a starting running back. He's got seven total touchdowns on the year. He only has two catches, though. We were kind of talking about this before we started recording. Is yeah. It's a little surprising with how much Hawaii throws that they don't want to do that, but I guess that's the difference between a Mike Leach-type system and what Hawaii is doing. So, you know, he's averaging about 15 touches per game in the last six games, but it just doesn't really seem like the touchdowns are there. At, at that low price, is he worth a risk in case he does get a touchdown and has like 80 yards or something, or are you just staying away from it? Yeah, I'm out on Hawaii running backs. You know, it's just kind of the, the rotation so much on Hawaii running backs are just crazy. You know, they just they love the rotate in. And I, I just I don't like targeting, um, you know, big, big timeshares, especially in teams where, you know, Hawaii, I look at their pass play percentage. Let me pull it up here. They are fourth in pass play percentage. So it's yeah. just a big, just a, a low volume play there um, uh, for Hawaii. So I'm out on that. Okay, well, let's sort through this, what's kind of a little bit of a mess, at least I thought, at receiver. Cedric Bird, the second, is 6.7K. He's got 10 touchdowns on the season. He had four in the Week 0 game against Arizona and has just one in the last eight games. JoJo Ward is 5.9K. He's got 11 touchdowns on the year. He had four in the second game of the season and then has gone, you know, kind of trailed off a little bit. His last three games, he has just seven catches for 78 yards and one touchdown. And then there's Jared Smart at 5.4K. It actually does seem like he's coming on a little bit, but he only has three touchdowns on the season. His last three games, though, he's over 300 yards, averaging eight catches per game with one touchdown. And then there's this Jason Matthew Sharsh guy at 5,000. He's got 73 catches on the year and four touchdowns. So his last two games, he's averaging eight catches per game with three touchdowns in that span, 175 yards. I was trying to find some clues since these teams already played. And, okay, well, what did they do against Boise State last time? And Marquis Stovall, the Cal transfer, who's now been dismissed from the team, had eight catches for 114 yards and two touchdowns. So little good that did us. So now I'm kind of back at square one and thinking maybe <laughs> Smart and Sharsh, since they're the cheaper guys, right. maybe less owned. Or, or I don't know. What do you think about this situation? Well, the, the tough thing is that, you know, you almost like to go back and – well, what happened in October when these guys played? Well, Marquis Stovell, you know, blew up, you know, and it's like, great, he's not on the team anymore, so we can't play him. 
Um, so it's kind of a wild card as far as what wide receiver uh, does well. Because I do feel like one of these wide receivers will find value just because, like I said, they're fourth in pass play percentage. They chuck it around the yard. Uh, it's just a challenge of you know which one's going to go off. I think I'm going to go a little bit more with the recency bias and because these guys are also cheaper. So I think Jared Smart and Jason Matthew Sharsh are going to be my two favorite guys, but I might sprinkle in a little bit of all of them. I mean, that's basically the only way I can figure at this point. I haven't haven't watched much Hawaii this year, but I, like you said, with, with how much they pass, you, you definitely want to get in on it. Yeah, no, you, you, you definitely want to end on some Hawaii rainbow action. Okay, so let's end here with Boise State. It looks like Jalen Henderson is going to be the quarterback. He's 6.4K. He has been the full-time starter for three games. He's averaging 244 passing yards per game and eight touchdowns with just one interception. Also has a rushing touchdown and 68 rushing yards over those three games. So, you know, he's he's got 23 rushes in those three games too. So it does seem a little bit consistent. It's been 7-7-9 seven, seven, and nine with the rushing. So is that enough for you going against this Hawaii defense? If it's a higher-scoring game, do you think that Henderson's in play here? I mean, he has to be. You know, if you look at a lot of the defenses in the slate, like Hawaii is by far the worst. I, I don't care what metric you look at. You know, you could look at DFEI. You could look at success rate. They are by far the worst on the slate. So, yeah, you're going to want some Boise State exposure, and why not start with the guy who's going to have the ball in his hands the most, the quarterback. Yeah, and the thing with Hawaii is their run defense is horrendous. They're giving up over 200 rushing yards a game and 5.7 yards per carry. So that is just terrible. So with that being said, then at running back, George Halani looks like he's the guy who's their main guy here. He's he's at 5.5 yards per carry. He does have 21 catches, nine total touchdowns, over 900 yards rushing. I can't tell with this guy. It seems like he's really up and down. He's, he gets a decent amount of work, though. Just going against this defense, do you have to fire away on him at 5.6, or what are you looking at here? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you fire running backs against Miami. Um, it's uh, death taxes and firing running backs against the, not Miami, against the Hawaii. So that's just, that's just how you do it. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and so then would you pair Henderson up with a receiver? Would you play any of these receivers on their own? Would you play any with Halani and do any kind of a game stack? There's John Hightower at 6.2K. There's Khalil Shakir at 5.4 and C.T. Thomas at 4.9, who seem to be the top guys. I mean, they're going to score. So you got to like, you know, some of these Hawaii guys or Hawaii, Boise State guys. And Shakir and Hightower are kind of head and shoulders target-wise over some of the other guys. Um, they're both seeing about seven, you know, sometimes eight targets in the last couple games here. Um, so looking at their target volume, you, I, I prefer Shakir here at 5.4. But Hightower seems to be more of a uh, kind of boom guy. He has a higher yards per target, um, and he has more re- yards but less receptions. It just seems like he's more boom or bust. Yeah, I mean, he's got more touchdowns on the season. He's almost 20 yards per catch. And then he also has 14 rushes for 147 yards. So I don't know how they're doing that, if they're just end-around jet sweep type things. But over 10 yards a carry on that kind of stuff, it just more speaks to his big playability. Um, C.T. Thomas at 4.9, he's just incredibly inconsistent. But the last two games, he has five catches in each game and a touchdown in each game. But three of the last four games before that had just one catch. So I don't really know what to make of him. He's just so cheap at 4.9. Would you go that far down or would you, are you just sticking with the other two main guys? 
you know, inconsistent, uh, that just screams to me like uh, tournament play, right? <laughs> so yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's the type of guys we want to target in tournaments. Yeah, I mean, if he has some 20-point upside or something, if he gets a touchdown and five catches or whatever, at least he's shown that he can do that these last couple games. So, okay, well, let's get into some of these key injuries for the week. We don't have that many this week. It's Lawrence Cager for Georgia at receiver. We know he's going to be out at receiver for Georgia. George Pickens is going to be suspended for the first half. Running back DeAndre Swift is going to be probable against Georgia, or I'm sorry, against LSU for Georgia. Quarterback Desmond Ritter for Cincinnati is going to be probable. Quarterback Brett Gabbert from Miami, Ohio is going to be probable. Receiver Ja'Cory Sullivan for Central Michigan. We'll have to just keep our eye on his, I think it was a foot thing with him, and he's questionable. And then Jamal Bell is questionable also. And I guess, was he on Appalachian State? He is on um, Louisiana. Ah, I keep getting those teams mixed up. You can tell I don't know the group of five as well once we start getting into the Sun Belt here. It's been uh, 15 weeks, and we haven't had to talk about these teams yet, so <laughs> can't teach an old dog new tricks, I guess. Um, looking at these injuries, what, what are you focused on the most here? I, definitely DeAndre Swift. You know, he's, he's certainly the best. Um, we think he's going to play. Uh, and then the next one for me is Ja'Cory Sullivan. Again, you know, we talked about him. He made uh, first team all PFF for the MAC. So if Central Michigan's losing their best wide receiver, at least by PFF grades, you know, that that's going to be a big impact. Yeah. And so if he's playing, we still like him. If not, then that just helps Pimpleton out that much more. So, okay. We like to end with our favorite plays here. We have $18,000 to build a quarterback running back in receiver lineup. So what are you thinking here, Bob? Who do you have this week? Jake, it was a tough build this week. Did you feel the same way? Yeah. I had a little bit of trouble here. Yeah. um, So, I ended up on Zach Thomas at 6.9K um, with some of his rushing upside. And then went George Helani. We just talked about him. And then I actually went double Boise. So I went uh, Cleo Shakir at 5.4K. So that kind of rounds out. I, I don't love it, I'll be honest with you. But pricing's hard this week. Yeah, definitely challenging. You know, having a hard time finding savings. That's why we tried to dumpster dive a little bit and find those cheaper guys, but I have Jalen Henderson as my quarterback for Boise state at 6.4 K and I have running back Kennedy Brooks for Oklahoma at 5.6 K. And then just to put it on an even 18,000, you know, it was between Justin Ross, DeMonte Coxey and T Higgins here. I ended up just going with T Higgins at 6,000 just because I liked rounding it off the last one of the year here with a nice, even clean 18,000, but really it could have been any of those three guys. It really could have been any of those guys on Boise too. I guess Hightower would have been a little too high price, but I like where you're going with Shakir there too. So, um, all right, well, Bob, any closing thoughts for, you know, this week conference championships, anything you want to say here as we're wrapping things up? Yeah, again, just, uh, you know, uh, thank you for all the listeners. Um, we may or may not be back for a bowl game. It's kind of really going to depend on uh, the slates that uh, DraftKings fires out there. And sometimes we won't know for a few days in advance whether it's going to be a big slate or a small slate. But if there's a big slate, you know, um, Jake and I will come in and, and talk about it a little bit. But more than anything, just a thanks for the listeners. Um, you know, we have fun doing this. You know, hopefully you enjoy it. We try to make it a little fun, but definitely informative. And, and at the very least, hopefully you got better at your process in college football. Um, you know, and you learn a little bit more about the players, you know, talking through them with Jake and I. So I don't know if you echo those thoughts, Jake, but that, that's kind of where I am. 
Bob, I echo those thoughts 100%, and we'll just keep everyone posted here throughout bowl season. Like you said, if one of those slates comes up where we feel like we want to have a little bit of action, so we'll just it just depends. Once the schedule comes out, we'll keep everyone posted on that kind of stuff because we'll still be around on the Power 5 cast feed, like I said, doing the instant reaction type stuff to the playoffs, doing our season awards, doing our season recap, that kind of stuff. So as that goes on and we start to do our previews and stuff for the bigger games, uh, we'll keep everyone posted on whether we're going to be able to come out with more DFS stuff. So... Uh, thanks so much for tuning in, though. Enjoy the games this weekend. Like I said, we'll be back Sunday. We're going to recap the committee selections of the College Football Playoff and New Year's Six Bowls. We're also going to have any of the coaching news if anything else happens on the coaching carousel. It seems like we're at the point now where all the openings are there, so we'll see if there are any any hirings and then see what kind of domino effect will be there for that. So we'll cover all that kind of stuff. And like I said, we'll announce the rest of the schedule for bowl season as we go. But thanks so much for listening all year long. We really do appreciate that. Best of luck with your lineups this weekend. That'll do it, though, for our DFS preview on conference championship weekend i'm jacob doyle for bobby Berger. until next time take care